We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. The independence case is a powerful one. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to once again be joined by an old friend of the podcast who has come on quite a few times, Nathan Baroda, Labour councillor for Unsworth on Berry Council. Welcome back to the podcast, Nathan. Thanks very much, Will. I see you more than I see my family at this rate, but it's always good to be with you on the podcast. Yeah, it's always good to be with you on the podcast as well, Nathan. Um, so the first question that I'd like to ask is, it's been quite a while since we last spoke. It was June of last year um, that we did a podcast. Now, obviously, before that, that was before a lot of the revelations relating to um, Partygate came out, and a lot has happened since then. So just thinking back to um, last year, how do you think things have changed in Bury in terms of the way people think about the government and also about the Labour Party? Yeah, you're right to say things have changed quite significantly over that time. I think Matt Hancock was still still Health Secretary when we last spoke. Um, And ever since then, really, I think um, June was sort of the zenith of their powers with the vaccine rollout and the, the lockdown restrictions being eased. I think from Matt Hancock onwards, um, it's been ever ever declining. I mean, I think it started to to first hit uh, properly in the end of September. I remember being on the way to conference and trying to get the petrol, uh, get to the petrol pumps, and it was crazy. Like um, people were really annoyed. There wasn't necessarily that much blame against the government at that point. I think the real catalyst, though, so you had Hancock in. Um, July, which, you know, him breaking the rules, vulnerable for them, which started to end their, end their insurgency. Um, the petrol prices and beginning of inflation then um, in September, you know, started to hit. But the real catalyst was Owen Patterson. Mm. Um, I remember door knocking on the Saturday straight after that and thinking, bloody hell, something's gone on here. Because we're so used uh, as a local Labour Party to Boris basically being Teflon. Mm. You know, we obviously think he's awful. <laughs> Um, and he's, but he gets away with so much, you know, yeah. his response to the pandemic um, being one, but obviously the previous couple of months with inflation, with energy prices, etc. And it was Patterson that really ignited the the uh, resistance against Johnson from people who voted Conservative in 2019. I think that's what, what swung it. You then had a party gate, obviously, um, you know, intensified that to, to quite a large degree. And then most recently, the cost of living crisis, once again, inflation, national insurance hike, um, bills going up and, and the government's negligence through that spring statement. So a lot has changed. That's, you know, none of that's been in the government's favour. Yeah. So what are your sort of like main aims, do you think, going into these local elections? Because, of course, um, there are going to be elections happening um, for Berry Council. I mean, what are your sort of like main aims in terms of getting a, a particular message across to voters. What do you think is Labour's main message um, in Berry in, in these local elections? Yeah, so obviously the, the national campaign was launched in Berry in, in Burst Country Park mm-hmm. last week, and the slogan there was on your side. I think that's quite reflective of, of, of our local party messaging as well, that, you know, we as your councillors and as a Labour council are on your side. Um, I think there's a values point as well, you know, Berry Council under Labour's leadership is one that's paying the real living wage to um, to all of our care workers. Massive step of recognition to those who we clapped for, uh, but actually paying paying their salaries properly as well. 
Um, and that's just one of the, a whole host of things that we're doing as a local council to try and, you know, get Berry's values and Labour's values together. Um, I think you see a real sharp contrast of that with a Conservative group driven with chaos division uh, that you've seen and they don't really have their priorities in order. So I think it's a values case. I think it's on your side. I think the two are linked because mm. people instinctively don't think the Tories are on their side and they have to work quite hard um, as they did in 2019 to demonstrate that. Um, but we're slowly undermining that message uh, quite effectively. Um, mm. And, you know, in terms of that contrast, it's about cost of living as well. The Chancellor's been completely negligent, as we saw in the spring statement, but actually it's the local Labour Council. We've done quite a lot of work to support the most vulnerable through this crisis. So I think that contrast is, is certainly uh, in play in Bury. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, something that also happened, which was on um, the national uh, stage, but also something that was very much uh, affected locally, was the defection of Christian Wakefield, uh, who's the MP for Bury South, from the Conservatives to Labour. Now, on the ground, what was the sort of the reaction to that defection? Because it seemed to stun quite a, a lot of people in the in the political world. But I mean, had you had any sort of like feelings prior uh, to the, the official crossing of the floor that something like that might happen? And, and, and what has generally been the feeling about that, that change in um, party allegiance that has occurred? So in terms of prior, that's an interesting one because over the Christmas break, I was joking with some friends that he was going to defect um, <laughs> because he'd, done, he'd been quite critical of the government in the, in mm. the, in the months before then. And um, there was this tweet from a, an advisor to Barry Gardner, which is just like, change UK part two is going to happen with a photo of him and Christian. Mm. I thought, that's a bit odd. And I messaged this guy to say, is Christian defecting? He didn't reply. Then the week after, there was this weird thing with a letter about the clean air zone. Uh, a letter signed by Conservative MPs and Christian's name wasn't on it. So I thought, that's weird. He's critical of the government, the um, the tree from the Barry Gardner guy, plus this. Something strange is going on. And I basically forgot about it. Um, carried on with, with, with life as usual. And then, lo and behold, the week later, he, he goes and defects. And, I mean, it was crazy. It was absolutely, you know, staggering. No one, in spite of that, really, in spite of actually the, the, the seeds of doubt being sown in my head, never really could picture it happening because it's so unusual. Yeah. I think that the thing to stress about Bury South as a constituency is it's quite quiet. It's not a, a place that's, that's loud politically. And that's quite difficult to, to quantify. But in terms of Bury North, it's, you know, that's the well-known by journalists as a key bellwether seat. Mm-hmm. Um, journalists are always going there. And, you know, it's the, it has Bury Town Centre, the, the, the eponymous town in, in the borough. Um, as Bury South, we've generally been quite quiet over the years. So to have something like this is just like, wow, in, in our backyard as well, uh, of all places for it to happen. You know, the first um, defection of this kind since 2007, um, and it's in our sort of quiet part of the world. People were really, really shocked by it. In terms of the um, things that um, have been happening on, on, on Bury Council, you mentioned um, care workers receiving the, the national um, living wage, but something that is occurring at the moment is a survey on net zero, which has been sent out um, to has been sent out to various people in Bury to um, fill out online. Um, how important do you think it is that people in Bury are able to um, interact with, it, with with a survey like that and to provide their feedback on the aim to get 
Berry to net zero? And how effective do you think it is um, for areas like Berry to make promises to, to, to net zero in, in, in the great schemes of things? I mean, what impact do you think it would actually have if uh, Berry were to become uh, a net zero uh, council? So firstly, I think it'd be really important for Berry to become net zero. Uh, our current aim is for that to be in 2038, uh, and we're on track to do that. Uh, we obviously need more support from the government in terms of uh, decarbonisation, but it is full steam ahead uh, at Berry Council, and that is a brilliant thing. Uh, and that's led by the cabinet member, Alan Quinn, uh, who has a, a real passion, real energy on this. But I think you're right to say that it can't just be council-led, it has to be grassroots and community-led too. Um, and one of the things that I'm really optimistic about is the rise of environmental forums locally. So we had a we've had a thriving Presswich Environmental Forum uh, since 2019. Just last weekend, we had the creation of one in Whitefield, um, and we had a really good attendance considering it's a first meeting. Nobody really knew what it involved, um, and it was a really good attendance. And it showed to me the real interest there um, from the public to to engage on the net zero agenda on, on, on tackling climate change. So really positive about that and I think it's something that cuts across all generations it's often overstated the degree to which there's a generational divide that's not my experience of it um but I think it's something that that we can do as a council but also as a Labour Party to to really emphasize our credibility on this um I, I you know another stereotype is that it's not an issue in the in the so-called red wall mm. I think that's complete nonsense that's complete nonsense you know people in the red wall care as much about decarbonisation as people in London or any part of the country that's battled by all the polling uh, too so i think you know it's, it's a unifying agenda and it's a really important one too mm -hmm. um, i mean you mentioned earlier uh, as well uh, the cost of living crisis um rising inflation which of course is is, is hitting people what, what do you think that um berry council can do to to help people in in situations like that now of course um, but Berry is limited in what, in what it obviously can do by the fact it is a council. It's not the, um, the Westminster government. But I mean, what, what, what sort of steps do you think that you'll be able to take to help people who are um, suffering from inflation and who are suffering from the cost of living crisis? So I think you, you're right to talk about limitations. Obviously, the, the, the nature of local government and its jurisdiction being one. But secondly, in terms of cuts, you know, Berry's council's budget has been cut by over 100 million. Uh, since 2010 so that's significantly affected what we're able to do uh, on all things including of course cost of living but the scale of our ambition hasn't been affected by that as a, as a council we've been doing lots of work in terms of the household support fund uh, that's been out there i think one of the things that the council has been doing that's particularly commendable is about the school uniform grants mm -hmm. so there's four hundred fifty thousand pounds dedicated to, to school uniform grants something that's often understated by westminster is the significance of that to people's household budgets so we've been doing lots of work on that uh, as a council to support people um, through the cost of living crisis. It's part of a broader package of, uh, of measures to do that, to support the most vulnerable. Uh, and we were scrutinising that most recently, the Overview and Scrutiny Committee, and it received cross-party uh, support and commendation. But, you know, the Tories have got a brass neck because it mm. comes directly from their government's decisions. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, in, in terms of um, the things that we've been discussing, we've really focused on cost of living crisis, which we've spoken about, Partygate and um, numerous other things. And, and, and in passing, some of the um, breaking of rules as, as were uh, part of Partygate, but also uh, that uh, Matt Hancock did related to COVID. But we haven't really discussed 
COVID uh, at all so far. What's your feeling uh, for people in Bury in terms of how much COVID is still affecting their lives and how much people are actually still worried about it? Do you think that local residents are still fairly concerned about coronavirus or do you think that they're not as concerned as, say, they were last year? Well, certainly aren't as concerned as they were last year. I think that, that's fair to say. But there is some degree on, on immunocompromised people. Um, I think a lot of people are, are concerned about that. But there has been a, a shift with the vaccine rollout. And the vaccine rollout was brilliant. And it showed you know, everything that's good about our country and, and our communities. The fact that it came from scientists led, of course, you know, helped by the government and the, mm. the NHS, most importantly. Um, and done by volunteers in, in local community spaces. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I think if we can use that as a model going forward for our um, for things like net zero, actually, um, how we all work together, that'd be great. So I think the vaccine uh, rollout has really changed people's psychology on COVID, but they certainly worry about this. It's not something that people want to go and catch um, by any means. And it is still, you know, a, a real risk to people with immunocompromised, um, you are immunocompromised rather. So... Uh, there certainly is concern out there still. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, do you think, any concern relating to the ending of the free lateral flow test? Because I know that in certain parts of the country, people have, um, you know, been rather annoyed that uh, they may still need lateral flow tests, but they're going to have to pay for it as opposed to when it was free. I mean, what, what's your sense of how people feel about that in, in Bury and Unsworth? Yeah, I think there's real concern about that. I mean, it's a... Uh... It's a real low-cost measure for people mm. to be able to um, to see their their COVID status, and it, it's lunacy to take the take free lateral flow tests away. It's you know people want to be able to see what what test status they are. Or why would you take that away? That's, yeah. it's absurd. Um, there's a lot of concern about that. Absolutely, in, in Unsworth and, and more broadly in Bury, I think it speaks to something more broad about Rishi Sunak's attitude mm-hmm. because. The reason it's been taken away is because Sunak is basically bean counting the way in the Treasury trying to move this part of this of the spreadsheet to another part of the spreadsheet. Um, and it's really cynical. He's been finding money for a tax cut for the banks, but he can't find money to, to allow people to, to know what COVID status they are. Yeah. I think that doesn't sit right with people, especially after the last two years uh, we've seen. Yeah. Do, do you think, um, in, in terms of how people view Rishi Sunak, that that has change substantially because it seems to in terms of the the polling from the height of furlough when he was well quite popular to now where he seems to be becoming more and more unpopular as time goes on i mean have you seen that just in in terms of 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 people in in like everyday occurrences in the way that their attitudes towards the chancellor have changed so absolutely it's it's shifted over the last few months i think um he started off with, with quite high approval ratings, especially with, with furlough. And, you know, beyond the policy substance of it, which obviously was advocated by trade unions and, and which every European country implemented, um, it was the messaging that he used at that press conference that, that resonated with lots of people. But actually, the last his actions in the last few months have been quite contrary to, to that. So a lot of people are, are sceptical of, of Sunak and, um, and aren't happy because of that contrast between his, his work in in April and March 2020 and it's worked now and especially I think people a lot of people say we thought he cared about us mm. that was what furlough sort of represented to people 
and now with his inaction on the cost of living, um, it's clear that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think, just going on, on, on to a wider point, that the leads that we've seen for the Labour Party in the last few polls going back to December, both there have been consistent leads for Labour, show that there has been perhaps a, a permanent shift away from support for the Conservatives to Labour. And I mean, are you at all worried that the party might get somewhat complacent with that lead and it could allow the Conservatives to recover in some way? So I think you're right to say that. Um, but one of the things that's true about politics post-2016 is it's volatile. So as much as people don't like the government at the moment, that can change. And I think that presents difficulties for Labour, but also also opportunities as well. Because I think you get to the degree where 75, 80% of the country don't know how they're going to vote at the next election, which is unheard of in the, in the 70s, and, uh, and especially in the, in the post-war era, where that alignment was so obvious and, and so clear. And then with Thatcher and Blair, um, people knew how they were going to vote years out. Uh, maybe less so with Thatcher, actually. But um, that volatility has been pretty remarkable over the last few years. I mean, you've got to think the way that the Tories shifted from May 2019 to December 2019. They got a new leader, which was was the difference. But they finished fifth in the national election. And then by the, the December, they won the landslide. So there's a real volatility out there in politics. Um, we can't, you know, I don't know if we are going to be complacent. I doubt it, but we shouldn't be. Um, we could be at a stage where in 2024 we're on the same amount of seats. Um, we could win an outright majority. It's, it's all in play. My instinct is it will be somewhere in between um, and it will force a hung parliament. So, but, you know, it's still all to play for, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd just like to turn now um, to a, a conflict that's obviously been dominating the headlines, and that is uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russian war in Ukraine, which, I mean, over the past um, few days, we've seen some of the, 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 the sheer horrific atrocities that um, have been committed um, or alleged to have been committed by the Russian army on the Ukrainian people, um, war crimes on, on, undoubtedly. How do you feel that Britain has reacted to um to the Ukrainian war. Do you feel that um, the government reaction has been different to that that ordinary people have um, displayed? And what things do you think that the government could do, more could do, um, to help the people of Ukraine? Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's been a really difficult few months just watching what's been going on in Ukraine. It's been horrendous. And I think there has been a real upsurge of feeling in the community that we stand with Ukraine and, mm. and of course, with Zelensky himself. Um, there has been a real real feeling of, of that. It's been unifying in terms of, you know, Starmer and, and Johnson generally agree on, mm. on, on what to do yeah. uh, in relation to Ukraine, especially on in terms of Ukraine itself. Where I think they differ is in terms of the visa um, policies and, mm-hmm. and how stingy pretty Patel has been. Um, and obviously we need to do more to support Ukrainian refugees to come to, to this country. That's the least we can do. Um, I think the, the other dividing line really is about Russian money. You know, the Tory party are awash with it and mm. a lot of journalists don't want to speak about it. You know, no one knows why, mm. but it is a real 
real concern the degree to which in the last few years the Conservative Party has been funded by Russian money. Um, I think that's something that, that our press ought to, ought to really shine a light on. Mm, yeah. Um, going forward to 2024, we've discussed this um, somewhat already. What do you think should be Labour's three big policies going forward to the 2024 general election? Oh, that's a great question. I get my uh, ability to be like a fantasy strategist of the party. <laughs> so uh, I think it's three things. I th- yeah, I mean, you asked me for three things. So of course <laughs> I think. Um, but I think the first thing is about job security and, and jobs. So people, you know, unemployment is low generally, but we see with things like P&O, the degree to which people's jobs are, are insecure um, and generally poorly paid, especially at the height of this cost of living crisis. So it's about providing better jobs high quality jobs for people uh, in their local community. And obviously um, the party have done a lot of work about buying British as well, which, which uh, resonates and helps create those local jobs. Um, I think that's number one. And obviously integrating that with, with our aims on net zero and having those green jobs that are going to sustain people for, for the future. I think the second thing is about crime. I think people are really concerned about crime in their community and antisocial behaviour. You know, antisocial behaviour ruins people's lives. It's not something that the party can be complacent about. And yes, we need more police, but that's not everything. Um, we need reform of the police and, and crucially, we need investment in youth services. You know, it's to use an old phrase, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. And th- those causes being a crucial thing, because if, if we don't tackle the root cause of crime and antisocial behaviour, then people are going to be feeling insecure, vulnerable. Um, and burglaries and, and crimes, you know, really do scare people. So I think crime would be would be the second point, um, and um, so I think I think the third one would be about household security uh, and the amount of bills that people are paying. So I think obviously housing and rents is one that we've discussed. Um, energy is another, and obviously Labour's windfall tax um, is really good in terms of showing our dividing lines and redistributing that wealth from from the big oil companies to to working people. Um, and I think that does speak to a broader theme about security. People are feeling insecure at the moment. And that we're speaking to what Theresa May quite accurately described as just about managing. Um, and that encompasses a broad range of people um, because of the cost of living crisis. You know, a lot of people are just about managing and, you know, better jobs, less crime, you know, more security in terms of household bills. That can reassure those, those people and it's the right policy agenda to, to have as well. Absolutely. Um, 2024 will also be the year of the next American presidential election. And at the moment, um, we don't know who the nominees are going to be for the parties. There is speculation as to whether it could be a Biden-Trump rematch or whether Ron DeSantis, who is vying for the Republican nomination, uh, could become the Republican nominee. How is your general feeling about the future of American politics? Do you think that um, Trumpism is dead within the Republican Party, or do you think that when the next uh, presidential election comes, we could see Donald Trump return to the White House? I certainly hope it's dead. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the polling suggests it is as well, although Biden isn't overwhelmingly popular. He's more popular at his, uh, his lowest point than, than Trump ever was at his highest. So um, I certainly hope so. I think the thing to be worried about in America is the degree of polarisation because it's completely unhealthy for democracy, but especially when their constitution is 
written in a way that bipartisanship is so important, you know, with these kind of two-thirds supermajority it's needed for a number of things. Um, I think bipartisanship is crucial. So the polarisation is absolutely something to be worried about. And from my, you know, understanding, it's not likely to end anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, Nathan. It's been great to have you on. And I have one final question. Now, recently, um, there has been a great deal of interest in the Oscars, quite often for uh, the wrong reasons. But of course, the Oscars represent, for many, for many actors, producers and directors, the zenith of their career to receive an Academy Award. So my final question uh, to you, Nathan, is this. If you had to pick any actor, alive or dead, to portray you in a film of your life, who would you pick? Um, I have thought about this, actually. <laughs> when I was younger, a lot of people used to say I looked like Freddie Highmore, the guy from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Um, so therefore, it's an obvious fit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've asked this question to a few people now, and that is the quickest response I've received. <laughs> 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 that's that's the assertive decision making we need in berries yeah absolutely thank you once again for coming on the podcast nathan if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to with berry or or, or what else you're up to where should they go to find out what you do sure so i'm on twitter at nathan c baroda uh, and facebook the best way to, to see what i'm up to is by following the unsworth labor facebook page and um, i provide local content about what's going on in the community and the work that we're doing as, as local councillors. Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Pleasure, Will. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.